morning, church. It's always lovely to be with you, as you know. I love it completely. Uh, so we've already had an amazing time together of worship, and um, just love it when God already starts to speak to us through the worship, and uh, you're the person speaking, and it's like, yeah, okay, that's cool. So I'm speaking about Ezekiel, which is an amazing um, prophetic book, um, and it's full of uh, words and images, actually. I'll I'll give you a brief overview in a minute. Um, I'm going to really focus on one particular um, oracle that Ezekiel got, Um, but it really ties in so beautifully with so many of the words that we we got this morning. So you will have noticed there was this amazing emphasis um, started off by... um, Rosie, when she brought that song, You Are Alive, just that idea of, and then um, Dave uh, Carr and Dan spoke further into it, and, and lots of other people, this idea that the Holy Spirit will fill you and flow out to transform the world, um, fixing your eyes on Jesus, and, the, and particularly this idea that where there's dryness in your life, the Holy Spirit is here to bring life, um, and uh, is breathing life into you. Um, and you'll see shortly that just this whole idea of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit as a river, is a really key um, image in the uh, passage that we're going to look at. But before we go any further, I just quickly want to pray. It's always a good thing to do. And then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you're here now. We thank you um, that you are sovereign and that you love us. We thank you for the way that you just reminded us of that so strongly and so beautifully this morning. Lord, we just ask that you would be with each one of us, that we'd be transformed by the time that you have finished uh, speaking through me uh, to to bring this word. I pray that lives would be uh, renewed, um, that hope would be renewed, um, and uh, that you would just be glorified in all things. Prepare our hearts, prepare our spirits, Prepare our minds, Lord. Amen. Okay, so um, as Daniel said, we're continuing our tour through the Bible. I'm talking about Ezekiel. I'm going to start by giving you a bit of context because it's quite important, but then I'm going to focus down. So um, you might remember kind of uh, a few weeks ago you heard about Jeremiah. Uh, I think Delhi brought that word, amazing word. And, you know, the fact that Jeremiah was sent to the Jews who were back in Jerusalem still. But at that time there were also... Sorry, Uh, it might be my massive curly hair getting in the way, but anyway, we'll deal with it. So, um, there were also Jews who were in exile in Babylon, and Ezekiel was commissioned to his fellow exiles. He himself, as a prophet, was in exile. He was in a foreign land. Um, And that's a really important context, which we'll kind of come back to at the end. Um, The name Ezekiel, I thought this was really interesting, actually means that God strengthens It's a beautiful name, yeah? And even though Ezekiel's message definitely carries um, elements of God's judgment um, on Israel's uh, pulling away from him and their consequential punishment, it also really reveals a God who strengthens both Ezekiel, and if you look at chapters 2 and 3, you will see this, but ultimately the people as a whole. So the passage I'm going to look at later, which is the river, from Ezekiel 47 is well known. Perhaps most well known though is the opening vision that Ezekiel has of the glory of God, but then also the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37 verses 1 to 14. I'm not going to talk about that particularly um, today. You can look at them. Um, But I just felt that meaning of his name is particularly poignant when you remember that he is in exile called to deliver God's word to a people in exile. 
So just as his first vision of God's Shekinah glory, which is just a term that means God's present and sort of tangible, physical, almost glory, um, is received while he's an exile, it says in chapter 1, verse 1, among the exiles by the river Kabar in Babylon, it reveals that exile does not need to be a spiritual desert. And that is amazing. If you think of the idea of exile being away from home, everything that's familiar to you, it doesn't have to be a spiritual desert. It doesn't have to be dry. And again, that ties in so well with the words we heard this morning. Um, the whole book, I think, therefore, actually reminds us um, of the fact that our exile, if you remember in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, um, the apostle tells us that uh, we are exiles of heaven. Yeah, um, But what we also need to remember is, even though exile can carry a negative overtone, can't it? But it's not negative in that way. But because of the Holy Spirit, we don't need to lack any good thing. And when I say not lacking any good thing, I don't mean shiny cars, you know, a wardrobe full of amazing shoes, sorry. I mean the things of the Spirit, the things that actually last, and indeed his refreshment. And so in this book, which is totally full of imagery, um, I've already mentioned the idea that um, Ezekiel has this amazing vision of the glory of God in chapter one. I'm not going to read through it in, uh, particularly now because I really want to get to the river section, but I couldn't talk about Ezekiel and skip it totally. And if you look at that, um, that kind of passage in chapter one, what will really strike you is the number of times that Ezekiel uses the words like and appearance. And a lot of you know that I've worked for several years as an English teacher, so that leapt out at me because I love words. Um, and what it really struck me as saying was that words basically failed him. He didn't have words to describe what he was seeing. He didn't really have a framework to describe the incredible, overwhelming sense of God's, God's glory and how awesome our God is. But what is really clear from that passage is that Ezekiel's overwhelmed, and that this glory vision is saturated with the sense of God's um, splendor, but also his radiant holiness. And in fact, it's so overwhelming that this is where Ezekiel says that he fell face down. He just can't take it, and he passes out. And that's verse 28 of chapter 1. So what do we take from that, and why have I included it when I've said I'm going to talk about the river well, um, what we can take from it, I think, is some really encouraging things which, again, tie in with the words we had in the worship today. And that is that God wants to reveal himself as mighty and sovereign, but really importantly, as uncontainable. The glory this time was supposed to reside at the temple in Jerusalem, the Holy of Holies, not on the banks of a Babylonian river. Yeah? So what's amazing is that God deliberately takes his glory to a place that's completely outside of the box, completely out of the reference page, if you like, and to a people who are desperate and lacking hope and appears to Ezekiel to give him these messages. So what that shows us is that our God really, really desires to be known. And so his glory shows up in unlikely places. There is no place that is beyond his reach. No place that he doesn't care about, that he doesn't want to uh, renew and bring life to. And in Ezekiel 11, verses 19 to 20, um, and again in chapter 36, verses 26 to 29, um, God says that he will give his people an undivided heart. He'll put a new spirit in them. He'll remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. 
Then they will follow his decrees and be careful to keep his laws. Then they will be his people and he will be their God. You've probably read that or heard that so many times in the Bible. It is basically God's refrain. So this um, prophetic book, which is full of some pretty obscure images, and you can kind of get a bit overwhelmed sometimes, totally fits in with that big picture in the Bible, which is that God is tracing this beautiful story through. And that big story is all about restoration of unbroken fellowship between him and his holy people. Yeah, He wants um, his dwelling to be right among us, and he wants right relationship with us. And that's really beautiful. So even where we see Ezekiel called to be a watchman to bring judgment in chapter 2, verse 16, but then also consolation and comfort in chapter 33, verse 17, in both cases, the focus of his role is actually to bring a message that's going to turn Israel back to God. It's the restoration of right relationship. And that's beautiful if you think about it, that some of this word is basically saying, get ready because um, you think you're going back to Jerusalem. Well, not yet. Actually, it's going to be totally destroyed. Uh, It's going to be sieged, and you're going to be in exile for a while. Not really the message that people were probably hoping for, um, but ultimately, it's a message of hope because it's all about God saying, I love you and I pursue relationship with you. And that has to be one of, if not the defining characteristic of our God. So um, I'm not going to talk through this, but just for those of you who are taking notes and may be interested... The basic structure of Ezekiel's oracle, his prophetic message, is that in chapters 1 to 24, those are prophecies that are concerning before the siege of Jerusalem. And then in chapters 25 to 32, they're prophecies that go on for actually during the siege, during that awful time when your world is literally crumbling around you and it's being relentlessly and ruthlessly attacked. And then chapters 33 to 48 are when you're in the aftermath of having had your world crumble around you. And they're actually the hand of God reaching into that devastation and offering hope. Um, And the passage that I want to focus on, which is chapter 47 of Ezekiel, verses 1 to 12, so it's quite a chunk, it concerns the river of God. And this, I feel, is uh, one of the several images or messages in that chunk of the Bible, of the, of the book, that really extend hope. So I'm going to read. Because of the time, I may well skip a little bit. We'll see. So Ezekiel 47, 1 to 12, the river from the temple. The man, who is a heavenly guide, if you like, brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me round the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and then led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that's up to the waist. And then he measured off another thousand. But now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. 
a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river, and when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. Dead Sea, no life. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Miraculous. Swarms of living creatures will live there wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to En Eglaim, and there will be places for spreading nets. There will be fish of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh, they will be left for salt. And fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So this chunk that I just read, it comes immediately after several beautiful descriptions of promised restoration for Israel, the people of God. Um, and it's also, these descriptions are the restoration of hope in chapter 37, the restoration of the temple in 40 to 43, the restoration of the priesthood and the full restoration of Israel. Um, and that's amazing. And then what comes after it is this description um, of how the land is divided. But really strikingly, the whole book ends on this detail. Then the name of the city, the city, it doesn't actually say Jerusalem no notice, from that time on will be the Lord is there. So that's chapter 48, verse 35. And as I said, they're the last words of the book. And like I said, do really notice that it's not described as Jerusalem. It's not called Jerusalem. And that, for us as followers of Jesus, is really important. Because as we know, under Jesus, we see everything in the Old Testament under a new, greater level of revelation in light of him. And that, the reason it's not called Jerusalem is because it actually foreshadows the holy city, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, which is so vividly depicted in Revelation 21, verses 2 to 5 and verse 10. That is the city that comes down from out of heaven from God. And that holy city doesn't have a temple. That's because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. So while it doesn't explicitly say it, clearly the Lord is there. He's dwelling among his people. And like I said, we can see that bigger picture thanks to Jesus. Um, when we consider that in Ezekiel 46, verses 9 to 10, God says there's to, there's to be no going back in his temple. Um, I think that's amazing. I just really felt like God wanted to put that in there for some people. Just know that God said there's no going back. Yeah? It's progress. All right? But that's amazing because it means that it's not a simple like-for-like -like restoration. Yeah? God just doesn't do again. He is eternally creative, and so he always does a new thing. He is always taking us closer to his ultimate purposes and reality. And that's really exciting, really exciting, because it means that even if you've got expectations based on the past that are good, whatever God has for you, it's greater, because he's creative always. So if we come back to the passage and think about that, 
some really interesting elements are revealed. Um, the river, if we have time, I'll talk about the trees as well, but we may not have time. And then certainly the life that is in the river and around it. So the river, the first thing that strikes me, I don't know about you, is the fact that it says it's coming out from under the threshold of the temple. Okay? That's weird. It's plain weird. Yeah? Um, I think you can say that it's just true. Um, but it's one of the first details, I think, that gives away this idea that this is not a literal description of just the historical rebuilt temple. Okay? The river is flowing out from under the door of the temple. The temple, it seems, is the source of the river. Now, if you think about it, a river has to start somewhere. So that means that there is a spring in there somewhere. Okay? Um, and just being really practical, I'm not an architect. I'm sure there are architects in here. But I don't think anybody tends to build uh, over the spring of a river uh, in such a way that the river then flows out through the building. I think that's probably going to cause you a lot of, you know, kind of damp and building issues, yeah? Um, so again, it's definitely not um, literal, it's, it's symbolic. And so why has God put that in there then? Because it's, it's for us, it's definitely for us now, it's not just for those people then. And that's what I really want to reinforce about this book. Well, remember that the temple is representative of God's presence among his people. It's about his dwelling among us, and it's about recapturing and surpassing Eden. God's constant refrain, as I read earlier, is that despite his perfection and our frailty, our imperfection, he is heartsick for us. And he said that this morning. He said it repeatedly. Yeah? He longs to dwell and commune with us. And this river that is flowing from that place is flowing from the secret place, the holy place, God's place, where we're invited to commune with him. In Revelation 21, verse 6, Jesus even declares that he will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life because he has paid for it with his life. Sounds quite a lot like the river that's flowing from the temple to me. And what's more, if we're honest, uh, if we take a step back, I think actually we know that we are heartsick for God. We might not always remember it, we might not always live like it, and we can lose sight of that in our busyness and our doing, our doing, our doing. But actually, we are heartsick for God too. We crave that more, that nagging emptiness, that nagging hole that can't quite be filled by the next experience, the next relationship, the next job. That thing that always makes us want slightly more. We're heartsick for God too. But that's okay, because we've got a God here who is constantly inviting him to come. In the worship, I felt that God, but I didn't need to bring it because people already said it, that God was really saying, I have come near. I've come close, and I always come close. And that is definitely the characteristic of our God. So in context of, context of that, if we remember that in this place of dwelling, in this place of being with him, we can be still and know that he is God, as it says in Psalm 46, verse 10. And we can begin to dip our toes into the river, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. 
This is the river of the Spirit. And this is a place of rest. So just take a step back and imagine for a minute. It's a hot summer's day. You peel off your socks and your shoes. And then there's that first beautiful contact between your hot, swollen, sticky feet and the cool, refreshing water. That little action can do a lot, can't it? Soon, every part of you can begin to feel a bit cooler. You can feel a bit less harassed and a bit more yourself. But then, it's just not quite enough, is it? Yeah? You just, I don't know, I'm that person. I want to roll my trousers up a little bit. I want to go a bit deeper. I want to put my ankles in. Yeah? Because we just know that the more we get in the water, the cooler we'll be, the more refreshed we'll be and the more ourselves will be. Sometimes we want that. We want more. We want to be the people who just wildly are abandoned and go and splash into the water and get fully wet. But for various reasons, we don't. Sometimes it's because we're worried what other people are going to think. How will I look? What will they think of me? Will I look a fool? Will I look desperate? All sorts of things. Even responsibilities, very, very valid things, can sometimes cause us to pause before we take that step. But all the time, something deep in here is longing to go deeper. What if that imaginative scenario really applies in the spirit as well, though? What if, in the spirit, we are invited to get fully submerged? And I think when you look at this passage, it really clearly reveals that so much of the freedom and abundance that Christ came to give us, that super abundant life of John 10.10, 10, is evident. In verses 3 to 5, Ezekiel's heavenly guide actively leads him deeper. There's a progression. Ankle deep, verse 3. Knee deep, verse 4. And waist deep, again, in verse 4. And ultimately, it's water that is deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross, as he says in verse 5. That's a really interesting phrase, a river that no one could cross. What if Ezekiel and what if we are looking at it wrongly? The man guiding Ezekiel never once invites him to try to cross the river. He guides the prophet in tracing its courts out to the sea where transformation happens and abundant life is spawned. But in order to access that, he and we had to surrender control. He had to wade into the river of the Spirit and allow his feet not to touch the bottom. But because we're grounded in God, we are buoyed and carried along by Holy Spirit. And as we flow with him in constant, instant, intimate relationship, and we worship at all times and all ways, we become freer and more surrendered. The river of the Spirit, which flows from the secret place, is not a barrier to overcome or to cross. It's the means by which we move into destiny, by which we risk and we adventure with our God to bring the kingdom. And we do it from a beautiful place of rest. Which reminds me of that amazing word Sumbo bought a few weeks ago about knowing what time it is. Do we know 
that it is the time for us to rest in him and then to adventure with him and to bring transformation to our world. We live in the age of the spirit. We are blessed with that. People, uh, you know, it is equals time would have given many limbs <laughs> to have what we have easy access to. And so when we live and move and have our being in Christ, um, because our source and our spring is in the secret place, we will know what time it is because the eyes of our hearts will be fixed on Jesus, as Dave talked about this morning, as we move in and through the Spirit. And just another detail, it's only once Ezekiel is out beyond that he's invited to see the fullness of all that God is doing. That is when the man says, son of man, do you see? And that's when he gets to see the fullness of all that God is doing, that there is the healing of dead waters. It's verse 8, the Dead Sea. It becomes abundant and full of life. And we see that this wasteland is teeming with life. Again, how does that relate to us? Well, like we heard this morning, those areas in your life that seem beyond redemption, that they're hopeless, that they're... You know, you've basically just put a big lot of that police tape across there and you're just like, hazard, don't enter there, it's just terrible, okay? It's dead. Nope. The Holy Spirit and Jesus say, get rid of the tape because my spirit is coming and I'm going to bring life, I'm going to bring restoration to those places that in your heart of hearts you've actually given up hope entirely because nowhere is beyond the reach of his spirit and his ability to bring life. I want to talk about the trees. I may cut it short a little bit um, because of time, and I want to give you a chance to respond. I'm just going to point out to you, in verses 7 to 12, the, it talks about these amazing fruit trees which are growing alongside the river. And you, in your own time, could do a really productive Bible study on trees used as imagery in the Bible. You'll see that they are used a lot, and they're full of meaning. Very commonly, they represent people and nations, and the trees here, in some ways, could be uh, seen to be similar. But the description of them, which is fruit trees of all kinds growing on both sides of the river, uh, with their, importantly, that their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, and that every month they bear fruit because the water of the sanctuary flows from them, their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. That description echoes so many other descriptions of trees in the Bible. Really well-known one, Psalm 1, talking about the man, um, the godly man who pursues God. It says that his leaf will not live, um, wither. Yeah? But the one that really strikes me um, is from Revelation chapter 22, 1 to 3. We don't have time to look at that in detail now, but if you go and read it, it's very, very similar. And it's pretty clear that um, the tree in that description is a supernatural tree because it somehow stands on each side of the river, which is interesting. Um, but it does again flow from the holiest place, the throne of God and of the Lamb. It also bears crops of fruit um, every month, so 12, like in the other description, and its leaves of the tree are for healing of the nation. It pretty much sounds like the same tree or a version of that tree. So again, what do we take from that? Well, we see it's a higher spiritual reality represented there. But what one way we can understand the trees is to see them as representative of those lives 
whose lives are rooted in the Holy Spirit and who are ultimately in restful relationship and worship of Jesus, our God. And so what if you and I are invited to wade and go deeper like Ezekiel? But what if we are also the trees planted by the river of water depicted here and described in Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17 verses 7 to 8 to name just two scriptures? There's loads. What if once truly planted and rooted in the river of the Spirit, our lives can become a source of sustenance and healing for the broken world around us? Tree roots pursue water with focused determination because they cannot live and certainly can't bear fruit without secure roots and being anchored to a solid water source, a pure and secure water source. In the spirit, we have to be the same. We have to be relentless in our pursuit of the river of the spirit because without it, we can't produce fruit and we can't produce leaves for the healing of the world or the people around us. And that's what we're here. Finally, alive in the river. In these verses, we learn that the river empties into the Dead Sea. Yeah, I've talked about that and that the water becomes fresh. That is amazing if you think about it. The Dead Sea is called Dead Sea for a reason. It's full of salt. Nothing can live in it. But then we find that there are swarms of living creatures because they live wherever the river flows, wherever the river flows. And there's not just a few fish. There are large numbers. Again, it is abundant. And it says in verse 9 that where the river flows, everything will live. In fact, there's so much that there's an industry that springs up around it because there are fishermen. People really are sustained by this river. So this river is transformational. It's regenerative. It brings life where there is a history of only sterility and death. I really feel that is for some people in there, for areas in your life, like I said before, where you feel it's beyond hope. God says that is not true. And equally, particularly in recent times where we've been bombarded with difficult thing upon difficult thing in the world and in our nation, our world is not beyond hope. And it can be transformed. It can be brought to life and it can be caused to team with that life through the power of the Spirit. And that's what's so beautiful about the fact that Ezekiel's oracle is delivered by an exile to exiles. It ends full of ultimate truth and hope. And while we are exiles of heaven with our citizenship elsewhere, we have the hope and life-giving force of Holy Spirit, which is so desperately needed by the world around us. After all, God calls us the living stones of his temple. And Jesus promised that those same rivers of living water would flow from those who follow him. So God is saying to you, son of man, daughter of man, do you see? In the message of Ezekiel, God reinforces his sovereignty and desire to be known, to dwell with us, to see Eden restored which is really his kingdom come, and for us to adventure with him from that place of restful relationship. So, temples, trees, and carriers of the very life-giving spirit of the living God, wade in, go deep, get soaked, and bring life. So, I would like to play a song uh, now, 
We probably won't play all of it. If you can listen to the words do. In that time, I'd just like you to quiet your heart and ask God to show you if there are areas in your life where you have felt that it's beyond the pale. You know, it just needs to be taped up and put behind that door. And we're just not going to look at it because it's just dead. There's no hope. Because he says, open it to me. I can bring life. The river of the Spirit cannot be contained. The glory of God cannot be contained. And he wants to invade your world. He wants to invade your life that you could go out and take that healing potential into the world. So ask God that. If you know that you want to go deeper in the Spirit, then you could come forward and someone can pray with you. If you um, haven't yet been filled by the Spirit, you can come forward, someone can pray with you. And if you are kind of thinking, I don't know everything, but actually, this whole relationship sounds pretty amazing. I didn't know we could have a relationship with God. If you want to find out more about that, because it's just touched you somewhere here, come forward. One of the people on the front will certainly be happy to talk to you and pray. So if we could just play part of the song, that would be brilliant. Thank you.